Good morning. Good morning. You may be seated. Do you all brush your teeth more than once a week? That's new to me. No, just kidding. All right, good. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, please. Turn to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And uh, if you're using a smartphone or tablet device, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. It's page 1120 uh, in our Bibles. Uh, we're looking at this passage uh, because we're in a series working our way through the New Testament. And this is where we find ourselves towards the end of the book of Acts. Uh, if you're brand new with us, hopefully you picked up a new here brochure on the way in. And on the inside, there is a sermon application guide. You can grab that every week. We have those on the kiosks just as you come in the various um, <clears throat> aisles. Uh, but it has room for notes, uh, has family discussion questions. We're normally doing what the kids are doing, so they're studying the same passage. And then we have... Uh, reflection questions. And there's, there's one in there today that I'll refer to that uh, I hope everybody does. So grab one on your way, way out, uh, one, of the, one of the questions. All right, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into today's passage. This prayer is based on Romans chapter 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word and for the good news of the gospel that is for everyone who believes. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as we look to your truth. Speak to us and grant us a deeper understanding of who you are and who we are in you. Strengthen our faith. Give us courage as we point others to the salvation they can only find in you. And Father, I pray for the youth as they uh, meet this Wednesday to assemble these, um, these very helpful bags that uh, can help so many people. And I pray that as those go out, that they have an impact on people's lives, a really practical impact on people's lives. So we thank you, Father, that we can be a part of that. Thank you for Union Gospel Mission and the work that they do. We pray that you continue to empower them and supply uh, for their needs and uh, help them as they work with people in all kinds of difficult situations in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what would you do with an opportunity to share the gospel? if it presented itself this week. You're having a conversation at work, in the neighborhood, school, uh, and, and right in the middle of there, there's just this perfect opportunity to share the gospel. Now by sharing the gospel, uh, what I mean is this, introducing someone to Jesus and to what he has done for us, all right? Now, it can mean a lot more to that, but that's how I'm speaking about it today. Okay, sharing the gospel, introducing someone to Jesus, and what he has done for us. The gospel is the good news of what God has done uh, to make a relationship with him possible. Uh, it's, it's the, actually, the gospel is the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. It actually is. But we're gonna, but when we're sharing the gospel with someone, you know, it, it usually... Uh, doesn't mean trying to tell them the whole story. We're telling them about Jesus and connecting it to their lives. So that's how we're going to be talking about it today, introducing someone to Jesus and to what he has done. Now, why, why would we share the gospel before we jump into the passage? Why would we do that? Uh, there's a lot of hesitancy in a lot of Christians to doing it. Part of it is our own fears and anxieties around 
uh, around it, and those are you know numerous. But part of it is we live in a society where sometimes the idea is communicated to us, and sometimes we buy into it uh, that sharing the gospel is not a kind thing to do, that it it like steps on other people or it's trying to force something on someone. Uh, so I want to talk about five reasons uh, why before we go any further. And one of them is because it's our calling. I mean, it's the bottom line. Uh, Jesus asked us to do it. Jesus didn't ask us. He told us to do it. It's a command. It's about obedience. Jesus is not only our savior, he's Lord. He's king. He preached a kingdom of which he is king. He has given us our marching orders in a sense, and, asked, and told us to share his story with other people, the story of grace and the story of, of love. So it is, in a sense, a matter of obedience that we do it. Secondly, love. Out of love. People need to hear about Jesus. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, in an article, I've got the title of the article and the author in, in uh, your outlines, and I would highly recommend that you that you look it up, but it's an article called, Is It Wrong to Try to Persuade Others to Change Their Beliefs? And the author of it is Rebecca McLaughlin, a British researcher, a Christian researcher, and she uh, tells a story about uh, an Iranian friend of hers, an Iranian scientist, someone who had gone through the whole uh, re revolution in Iran, had become very disillusioned with it, uh, through a series of a whole bunch of things, came to follow Jesus out of Islam. And he saw how Islam in Iran was very coercive, like it, like it made you, you know, you better believe or else, you know, that kind of a thing. And so when he became a Christian, he didn't want to tell other people about Jesus. He felt like that's coercion. It's like, it, it just felt wrong to him. And so, uh, and so he, he, she, she was having a conversation. She said, well, okay, I want you to imagine a situation. He was a, a scientist who, who specifically, uh, his area of expertise was uh, breast cancer. He said, let's say you're sitting in a waiting room. There's a middle-aged woman sitting across from you. And she's from a poor educational background. And so she is convinced she doesn't need a mammogram. What would you do? Well, he said, I, I, I'd try to persuade her. <laughs> I would absolutely try to persuade her because she does need a mammogram because she is at risk. And, he, and so she, she kind of talks to him some more and she says, how would, how would you do it? He says, well, I, I, I'd listen. Uh, I would try to make a case. He wouldn't berate her. He wouldn't try to coerce her. He would try to connect with her and communicate her need. And that pretty much made the case People need Jesus. And if we believe what Jesus said, people need Jesus. So in this article, she offers actually seven reasons why it's not wrong to share our faith with other people. Uh, I want to share, one of, the, one of the ones is love, the second one I just gave you. I want to give you three uh, out of the ones that she gave. And one of them is respect. Respect. Respecting others as thinking agents. A lot of people treat other people as if you are just a product of your culture, as if you can't think for yourself. And we think we're, step, you know, we're stepping on other people's cultures when we share our faith with them. It's just they're thinking agents. You can have a conversation. 
they have an opportunity, if they're from another religion, they have an opportunity to convince you. You have an opportunity to try to persuade them to consider Christ and to follow Christ. This, isn't, this is a respectful thing to do. It treats them in a respectful way to treat them as thinking agents. Uh, another reason why um, that she gives is depth. Uh, placing religious beliefs, she says, as kind of off limits, we can't talk about this. She said it, it takes away from relational connection. There's something, a connection you make when you can talk about everything. And you can talk in a way that is civil and respectful. And so why block that off? If you do that, you're taking away relational depth. Uh, last one that I have here to give to you is diversity. And some people um, say for the matter of diversity, isn't it good that we have various religions? Why would we want to reach someone with our religion? And, and she says, well, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't add up over against global Christianity. The, the majority, Christianity is not a Western thing. It's not a European thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a North American thing. Christianity is a global religion. It didn't start here. It started in the Middle East and spread all, all over the world. And so she says, um, just understand, the majority of Christians are in Asia and Africa and South America. When they come here, they bring their religions with them, many of them Christians, um, some other religions. And, and she says, even in our own country, well, she's, she's British, she says, in the United States, black Americans are more likely to be believers than white Americans are, percentage-wise. And she says to actually, she says, to ban evangelism in the name of diversity doesn't empower racial and cultural minorities. It actually silences them because they are really religious and a lot um, are actually Christians. So I want to tell you a, a little opportunity I had recently. Uh, my uh, kind of my preparation to share my faith with someone when the uh, situation uh, presented itself. This a few weeks ago. A longtime friend of mine showed up to one of our services. And I did what, not because I'm the pastor, but because it was a friend. I did what all of us should do. If we see a friend all of a sudden show up, somebody especially that, you know, maybe is, uh, doesn't really attend a church anywhere. And, and I said to him, hey, why don't we get together? And I'll answer any questions you have about Five Oaks. And when we met, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit to see, you know, why is he here? I've known him for 20 years. And uh, why did he choose that weekend to come here? So we got together a third act brewery and he told me why he had come. And what he told me really was like presenting a perfect opportunity to share the gospel. It's just like, here, share the gospel with me. <laughs> That's what it was. It was like, and I punted. Now if you don't know American football, uh, punting uh, means it's kind of risky to continue trying to get a score, so you kick the ball to the other team, hoping that your defense will stop them, that they'll punt it back to you and you'll be closer to scoring, and it'll be less risky. All right. And, and that's exactly what I did. I punted when I had a perfect opportunity with no risk involved to, to uh, present the gospel, to tell them the gospel. What went through my mind was he'll be back. And maybe the next time we'll have that conversation. I don't know why, but
But that's, that's the way I thought. I'll give you a little bit of an explanation a little bit later when we get into the passage. But that's what, what my thinking was. That was weeks ago, unless this weekend, and I don't see him here. Um, he hasn't been back, and I haven't had that opportunity. Now contrast this with a conversation I had with, I went to a graduation party a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and there was a grandmother there of the gal who was graduating, and the grandma, I've known her for many years, goes to another church, but I've known her for many years, and uh, we get talking, and I think I was telling her a little bit about my mom and needing to move her um, at that time soon to a, to a care center, and, and so we were talking, and she said, yeah, I volunteer at a local nursing home, and I started doing that a few, few months ago, and when I decided I was going to volunteer there, I wanted to be ready to share the gospel if the opportunity arose. So what I did was I brushed up on my faith story. She wrote it down and she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on this. And she thought, you know, what am I gonna have in common with someone in a nursing home? Uh, I, I've been widowed. Um, my mom was in a nursing home. In fact, my mom came to a personal faith in Jesus while she was in the nursing home. So kind of telling, you know, she's, she's gonna weave these things if the opportunity presents itself. So she goes to the nursing home and she, for her first volunteer time and they say, well, do you like playing Scrabble? She goes, yeah, well, I'll play Scrabble. So they set her up with a Scrabble table over there with Scrabble game and Scrabble table and they, um, and they announce play Scrabble, like right after lunch or something like that. That was the time that she could go there. And she said one lady showed up for several weeks. And she thought this would be the person that I share with, except the lady was deaf. So they couldn't do any more than, you know, like little short notes uh, to each other. And so week by week they're playing Scrabble. And one week she goes and the lady comes to play Scrabble, but she brings somebody with her. She brings her son with her. And he was visiting during that time, and she wanted to introduce him. And he said to her, so my mom is really curious, why do you come here week after week and play Scrabble with me? And she said, that was my opportunity. She told her whole faith story <laughs> and knew that the story would get to um, the mom because he knew sign language. So I want to ask you again, what would you do if you had an opportunity to share the gospel if it presented itself this week in a conversation that you have? Now that's the situation that we're going to see the Apostle Paul uh, have in our text today. He has an opportunity to share the gospel. It's a fascinating story. It takes several chapters. It covers more than two uh, years. Uh, book of Acts, by the way, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. It tells a story and it picks up where the gospels leave off with the resurrection of Jesus, picks up with the resurrection of Jesus, and within a few verses, Jesus ascends to heaven. It's the story of the early church from, from a very, you know, kind of narrow perspective, but looking at, you know, several people and several things that are happening uh, throughout the early church. And so uh, the story we're going to look at comes towards the end of the book of Acts. It's like a case study in what to do if you have the opportunity uh, to share the gospel. Now Paul's situation is that he is imprisoned by Roman uh, officials and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. 
And the reason they have arrested him is not because he had done anything to break Roman laws, but because uh, 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 Paul, it's a big part of the book of Acts, is Paul's journey to Jerusalem to take a, uh, some money to help the Jerusalem church. And when he gets there, people have been telling him all along, way, don't go, don't go, don't go. You're, you, they're they're going to kill you if you go. And sure enough, as soon as he gets there, he starts talking with someone about the resurrection, and a riot starts. Roman officials don't like riots. If it gets back to Rome, uh, they might be recalled. It's, it's not good on your resume that you couldn't control a city. And so they, um, they arrest Paul, and they invite the Jewish leaders to come in and make a defense or make their case, and they're, they're not able to make their case very well, and they decide we're going to take them to Caesarea, where the governor is, and we'll figure out what to do. So uh, Caesarea is on... So if you're looking at a map of Israel and you've got Jerusalem, you've got Caesarea's right on the, on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast. One of my favorite sites uh, to visit. been there a, a couple of times. And it's, it's great because of the amount of excavation that has happened. And, and this is only a small part of it. it. I mean, it extends way over in this direction. Uh, Herod, 60 years earlier, 70 years earlier, Herod the Great, uh, the one who killed the babies in the nativity story, built a palace right here. So the Roman governor is using his palace. He's been long gone. That was his saltwater pool. That's what's left of it. And I'm going to zoom in a little bit because we're going to look at a spot right about there in the next picture. And this is the space, and this talks about it here, where archaeologists have come to the conclusion that this is probably the room that Paul was held in. And he's going to be there for over two years. And it's through a process of elimination and everything that you come to this room. There are probably a couple of candidates, but this is the, the major candidate. And it's, it's really weird to be standing in a place where you're thinking, Paul spent over two years in this, in this space here. Uh, so so uh, he's been whisked out, like I said, and now he's going to get a chance to defend himself. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So what do we do when we have an opportunity to share the gospel? The first one, the first thing that we got to do, and that we're going to see Paul does, is we need to stay focused focused on what God has called us to be, this calling on our lives. Stay focused, looking for opportunity. If you're not looking for an opportunity, chances are you're not going to see it when it presents itself. And so um, Felix is the governor, the Roman governor. And he holds the keys to Paul's freedom. He's been arrested. He could be set free and he can go back on his missionary journeys. His goal is to make it to Rome and then go to Spain. That's, that's been his goal for a long time. He could be set free and we wouldn't blame Paul if every time he has a personal audience with Felix, if he would use it to try to say, let me go. There's no reason why you should hold me. You've said it yourself. You cannot figure out what I've done wrong. And, but it's not what he does Instead of talking about being set free, what the Apostle Paul does is he shares the gospel with Felix. He stays focused. He looks for the opportunity and he finds it. So pick up in verse 22 of chapter 24, where it says, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, the way was one of the ways that Christianity was ascribed at that time, adjourned the proceedings. Okay, so when Lysias... The commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he's probably not in that room all the time. They don't have a meal program. 
He has to contact people he knows and say, you know, I need to eat, so, you know, bring me my food. That's what it's talking about here. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him. What do you talk about? As he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. That's what he used his time for. One of the major differences between that gal's grandmother at the nursing home and myself was that she was focused and I was not. It's as simple as that. You know, I can't tell you what was going through my head, why I thought there'll be a better time, because there was no better time, <laughs> except that I, I lost my focus. I had a lot of other things going through my mind in terms of, of my friend. We got talking about other things uh, in life. Uh, we only see each other usually about once a year, so, you know, a little catching up to do. And I lost my focus, and I lost a wonderful opportunity. What else can you do if you have an opportunity to share the gospel? Well, Speak the truth. Uh, don't do a bait and switch. So a bait and switch is this. It's in, like sales, it's you, you say, hey, you're buying this, and when somebody puts the money down, you give them something else. All right? Or you don't tell them about some of the fine print. Oh, yeah, but it's like when you buy an app and you think it's going to work, but you've got to pay $9.99 a month to actually make it work. Now, we're used to that now, but a few years ago, it was like, what? You know, that kind of a thing. So, it's a bait and switch, all right? A lot of us as Christians, when we're presenting the gospel to someone, we are tempted to do a bait and switch. It's like, oh, Jesus is the best. Following Jesus will take care of your problem that we're talking about right now. And then when they become Christians, at some point we say, yeah, and you gotta take up your cross, die to yourself, and maybe die, you know, taking the gospel to someone. That's a bait and switch. Paul doesn't pull a bait and switch. And it's, look, look what it says in verse 25. This is instructive, this is a case study. This is the greatest missionary of all time. Say, this is what he does. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now, you may leave. <laughs> When I find it convenient, I will send for you. <laughs> and you say, well, maybe Paul, you know, misstep. Or maybe it's an ancient world where, you know, they talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Trust me, a Roman, to talk about the judgment to come, that's about as crazy of an idea. It is as crazy as an idea as talking about the judgment to come to a typical secular American. It's like completely outside of their experience and understanding. But he's willing to, and righteous, self-control. This is Felix. He's a governor. He can do anything he wants. <laughs> and he does. That's how the Romans lived. And he's talking to them about how important it is to have self-control. He's not avoiding tough topics. He's giving kind of the big picture of Christianity. Righteousness has to do with how do you, how do you get right with God? And how do you live right with God? That's what the righteousness that is talking about here. He doesn't avoid the tough topics. Now, you can know from the Apostle Paul, because we have more than he says. That's a quick summary. We have other things that he says and how he taught. We have his, all his letters in the New Testament. So all these, you know, like, like Romans and Galatians and Philippians. We have all these letters. We know that he never talks about those topics without placing them in the context of the gospel. All right? It's not like, you need, Felix, let me tell you, if you're going to become a Christian, you're going to need to become self-controlled. You're going to need to make yourself right with God. It's, it's not that. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 
At Christianity, the door to a relationship with God is at the beginning of the journey. The door is grace, undeserved favor from God. It's based on what Jesus did. He died for us and he lived the life that we can't live. That begins. So we put our faith, that opens the door. We receive it. And we begin the journey with him. Paul is not saying, you've got to do all these things, Felix, if you're going to become a Christian. We know he doesn't say that. But I'll tell you what the greatest missionary of all time would go to a city, start a church, could leave within weeks, and that church made it for centuries. Okay? The greatest missionary of all time, I'll tell you what he never did. He never offered a simplistic message of all Christianity is, is grace. Just receive his grace. Put your faith in Jesus and you'll have all your sins forgiven and you can walk hand in hand with Jesus all your life. He always placed it in the context of discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just like Jesus always spoke about what it means to be his follower. And, and by the way, one of the things that Jesus talked about way more than Paul, you can read all of Paul's letters, way more than Paul is the judgment to come. He talked about it all the time. Look at all the parables about not making it into the banquet, not, you know, being on the outside knocking. It's talking about the judgment to come. Every week at Five Oaks, every week we have people who are going to be here, who are here, some of you, I'm talking to you right now, who are uh, not yet followers of Jesus. And one of the things you're going to get here, uh, if, if you haven't been around very long, just to tell you, one of the things you're going to get here is you're going to get the big picture of discipleship. You're going to get it all put within the gospel of grace. It's going to be gospel-centered, but you're going to hear what it actually means to follow Jesus. You're not going to get a bait and switch. I respect you enough to tell you what the big picture is. I also know that you respect us enough to know that we're a church, and this is a training ground, an equipping ground every single week when we get together. We study the scripture to be equipped to live more for Jesus and what it looks like and to learn more about God and to have a more loving, deep relationship with God. So you don't expect, I know you don't, you don't expect me to explain everything. Now we work hard to explain things, we really do. And we have a course that we do eight times a year that gives people an overview of the Bible. They come in knowing nothing of the Bible, come out and know probably more than 98% of the people in this country. And so we do that, we introduce Christianity through that, and what it means to be a disciple and follower of Jesus, what the gospel is about, the gospel of grace. We do that all the time. I stop and explain. Book of Acts, I want you to know. Those of you who are followers of Jesus here, if you ever hesitate to bring a friend because, ah, you know, our church kind of goes deep in things, you're not respecting your friends. You're really not, you're not respecting your friends. They can think, they understand. Some things they're not gonna get. If they got everything, it's like, why show up? <laughs> you know, they, 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 they know they're going to have to learn some things that they don't know. Because we're learning things we don't know, right? Constantly. If you knew everything I was going to tell you today about this passage, you'd like stay home or you would have left after our preparation time. Um, so we're all in this together. We're all learning together. Don't hesitate. A, a real seeker is seeking, and they want to know what it really is uh, uh, about. And so we don't avoid hard topics, and we don't avoid going deep into the scriptures to see what God has for us, because this is training ground. This is equipping ground, and we invite you to come if you're not a follower 
and look in, and listen in, and participate with us, and have community with us, and, and hopefully someday come to know Jesus. All right, so number three, you have the opportunity to present the truth. Don't, you know, number two is don't soft pedal, don't do a bait and switch. Uh, be willing to talk about the tough stuff. Number three, tell your faith story and the story of the gospel. Um, last night I went way overtime, and it uh, makes it difficult for the children's workers. So can't do that again. Uh, so I'm not going to read a very long passage that I read last night, but let me just give you a quick, and, and hopefully you'll take the time if you've never read it to read it again. But what happens is, is Felix uh, takes two years trying to make a decision, and he never does make a decision. He's replaced by Festus. He's the next governor. Uh, Festus is trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know what to do with him. He wants to send him to Rome because at some point, actually, Paul appeals to Rome because I think it's Festus who says to him, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem. And he goes, ah, I'm a Roman citizen. I, I get my day in court in Rome. And so we're going to pick up the story next week. He's on his way to Rome, and there's a shipwreck. It's going to be it's a really exciting story. And so, um, so Festus is trying to figure out what charge am I going to put to him when I send him to Rome? Because I'm going to look really stupid if I send this guy all the way there and all the expense and everything, and I don't really have a good charge against him. So he brings in a Jewish king, king uh, under the Romans, and uh, Paul gets the opportunity to present his case. And what does he do again? He presents the gospel, but how does he do it? It's the third time in Acts where we hear the story of Paul's uh, call by Jesus to become a follower of Jesus. And he goes into detail. And what you discover as he tells his story is, he tells it in three parts. If you, know, if you don't know Paul's story, he was a Pharisee, a very strict sect within Judaism. He hated the Christians, the Jewish Christians, the ones who, Jews who became followers of Jesus. He hunted them down, sometimes imprisoning them, other times signing off on having them executed. And he tells that story. And he looks at Agrippa and he goes, you know, you know me, you know who I am. You know, you've not been living under a rock. He says something like that to him. You know that this is the case. But Jesus showed himself to me and it changed everything. He called me to be a missionary to my fellow Jews and to the Gentiles and it's changed everything in my life. And so what you discover here are some things about how we can tell our own story. Now we're not gonna have, you know, some of the excitement that that Paul has, but understand this, if you go, man, well, my story is not that exciting. Good. Do you think, you think very many people can relate to a story that you're on your way to kill Christians and Jesus shows up in a vision? <laughs> it's exciting, but you can't relate to that. It's more the kind of like run of the mill, you know, well, my, my mom shared uh, how Jesus died for my sins and I prayed to receive him. You know, that's, that's something someone can can relate to. So anyways, when you're going to tell your story, there's a few things that we learn from this, this case study. Can I have the next? Uh... Okay, so start with your life before Christ. And then share how you came to know Christ. And then share your life after becoming a Christian. There it is. There's the outline. There's a question in the discussion guide. I don't have very many questions in there this time because I really want you to spend time on think, question number five or something like that to write out your story, write out your story uh, using this outline. Now, 
the next screen. If you came to know Christ as a really young child and you go, I didn't have, I don't remember my life before Christ. Uh, that's okay. There certainly came a time in your life, uh, as a, if you're a teenager now or you're, um, you're a, a, an adult, there came a time in your life where your faith became real in a more adult way. You understood better what it meant. And, and maybe it impacted you in a deep way, uh, in a deeper way. Go for that. That can be your number two, all right? Uh, the next piece of advice or what we learn from this is weave the gospel of salvation in Christ into, your, into the story. Tell them what Jesus came to do about his death, about his resurrection, especially why it matters. <laughs> Talk about why it matters. And Paul does that. He doesn't just tell his story. He talks about Jesus coming, that the prophets had said he was going to come. Uh, he talks about Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection. And so he weaves the gospel story and the reason why he came and died. He, he weaves that all into it. And then finally, don't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't, it, 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 again, it makes it unrelatable and it's untrue. The Christian life is a life of struggle. In some ways, it becomes a bigger struggle. Things that you used to just go, you know, who cares, all of a sudden become like, oh, I don't want to live that way. But I'm still drawn to that. Uh, sometimes people will reject you because you're a Christian. There's so many, it's, it don't sugarcoat anything. It's not true. It's not effective to do it. So if you've never written down your faith story, we do that in Story of God. Uh, if you've ne our story of God course, our introduction to the Bible and Christianity, if you've never done that, uh, you probably are not ready to share it. God can, you know, the Holy Spirit can guide you and, and take the mess that is going to come out of your mouth because you're going to talk too long, you're going to talk about too many things, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> you need to prepare yourself for this, just like that grandma prepared herself for the possibility that might, she might have an opportunity to share the gospel. So there's a question in the guide to do that. Number four, what do we do? Offer reason and evidence. And that's what Paul does next. Uh, so uh, after Paul connected Jesus' death and resurrection to the Old Testament and said that this has eternal implications for both Jews and Gentiles, what Jesus did um, it's too much for Festus to bear. And so, look at chapter 26. Chapter 26. So, if you could go there. And verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. So, he's been telling this whole story. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. <laughs> Another reason, let's get him out of here and send him to Rome. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king, King Agrippa II, is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. <laughs> So what is Paul doing here? He's offering, he says, this is reasonable, what I'm sharing with you. I mean, look what, what happened in my life. 
I was committed to destroying this movement. Why would I change? I've had nothing but trouble <laughs> since changing. I'm here in prison because I, I changed. I could renounce all of this and go back to a very comfortable life, but I'm not. It's reasonable that what I'm saying, and it's not just this, it's just that. King Agrippa II, you know, you know this whole movement around Jesus. You know it's very difficult to explain his resurrection. You know, you know what happened. It didn't happen in a corner. You know what happened. And so he pro offers, in a sense, evidence, reason and evidence. Now, in, in our, what's oftentimes called a postmodern society, traditional apologetics, which is the defense of Christianity, along the lines of speaking about the resurrection and the evidence for the resurrection, it's not as effective as it used to be. We gotta, we gotta broaden our ability to talk about these things. But people still, we're a kind of a mixture of modern and postmodern. People are still looking for evidence. Don't ever, you know, there's a lot of Christians out there that say, no, no, traditional apologetics, what worked 15 years ago doesn't work anymore. It still works, it's just not enough. So, so go, offer reason and evidence and be sure that you have the reason and the evidence to offer. Next, last, you have the opportunity. Don't hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to put it out there and say, does this make sense to you? Is this something that you would want to receive? And so, uh, that's what Paul does. Look at verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I want you all to follow Jesus like I do. That's what he tells them. This is for you, he says. This is for everybody. You can imagine Paul kind of looking around. This is, this is for everybody in this room right now. This message is for everybody. We shouldn't hesitate to ask whenever possible because a lot is at stake. If you no longer believe, and I guarantee many of you feel this way because this is kind of the drift of everything. If you no longer believe that anything is at stake, that everything's gonna work out fine for everybody, uh, you, have, you have basically taken from the beginning of the Bible, at least from Genesis 12, all the way to the end of the Bible, you have just done what Thomas Jefferson did. You know, he cut, literally, took his Bible and cut out everything that was miraculous, the resurrection, the healings, anything that was miraculous, literally cut it out and then had it published. You've done the same thing. Because from the beginning, from very early on, all the way to the end, God keeps telling his people a lot is at stake. That's why I'm calling a people to share my story because eternity is at stake. And so if you no longer believe that anything is at stake, you will not be able, it's gonna be very difficult for you to pass on your faith because you have just cut out the legs right out from under your faith. And it's just not gonna be reflected in the Bible. Every time you read the Bible on almost every page, you're gonna go, well, it, no, not really. No, not really. No, not really. <laughs> just like every page, no, not really. We know better now. We know not that much is at stake. All right, so a lot is at stake, so take the opportunity to share that. So um, Paul is faithful to make the invitation. Um, look at verse 30. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. 
after they left the room, they began saying to one another, um, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so uh, Paul eventually does, uh, through some harrowing experiences, does make it to Rome, which had been his goal, but not in the way that he had expected. He makes it as a prisoner. Uh, we'll look at that in a, couple, in a couple of weeks from now. So let's review. What do we do? Uh, situation presents itself. Stay focused. Look for opportunities to share. Speak the truth. Don't bait and switch. Tell your faith story and the story of the gospel. Offer reason and evidence. That means you, you're probably going to have to know your faith pretty well to be able to do that. You're gonna, uh, I'm not saying you have to become like an expert to share your faith because you can, you can do this without this, but eventually you're going to want to get to here. And then don't hesitate to ask because a lot is at stake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God that has, because so much is at stake, has gone, come to this earth, lived the life we couldn't live, suffered for us, died on the cross for our sins, made it possible for us to be in a right relationship with you in spite of everything. And then, Father, as we know you, uh, we live in your grace. Even after we received your grace, we live in your grace because we fall short. We, like I did, we miss opportunities to do what you've called us to do. We show a lack of love to the people around us because we put just other concerns and distractions or fears or anxiety before uh, before you and what you've called us to do. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that we live in your forgiveness. Father, help set us free from trying to, to find meaning and purpose and things that cannot bring that. Set us free from trying to make other people like us, but that we would seek your honor and your glory. Father, we pray for you to empower us to share your story. And Father, um, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet received your grace. I pray that they would place their faith in you and receive you today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping uh, by responding to God together. And, and so what this is going to look like is we're going to continue singing songs of worship that are worship songs in response to what we've been learning from God and his word. We're going to celebrate communion and we invite anyone who's a follower of Jesus to uh, celebrate with us. And so during the first song, when you're ready, I invite you to come to this table, the table's in the back, to take the bread, remembering the body of Christ was broken for us. And as we put it in the cup, dip it in the cup, remembering that his blood was shed for us. And so um, we have prayer stations. These light stations are places where we pray as we're lighting a candle for the light of Christ to shine in the life of someone we know who's far from God. We have someone from our prayer team ready to pray with you right back there personally. And we have a kneeling station back there as well. So let's continue our worship by responding to God together.